you know, when you born and raised in the South, you basically automatically know how to act and what you're supposed to do when you're in a situation like that. Because if you decide you're going to fight back, you're not going to win because you're outnumbered and you had no guns, no nothing. My name is David Williamson, Jr. We in Rock Hill, South Carolina. In 1961, Rock Hill made a change. And we decided to express the fact that we're no longer going to accept things the way it was. On February 1st, 1961, 10 young men staged a sit-in at McCrory's Five and Dime lunch counter in Rock Hill, South Carolina. They knew the risks of fighting segregation. Activists were often beaten and killed, but this did not deter them. Most in the group expected to be arrested. I'm Natalie Boyd, a podcast producer for USA Today. 60 years later, the old Five and Dime is now a restaurant called Counter, where the original lunch counter has been preserved. David Williamson Jr. sat in the same seat where he was arrested 60 years ago to tell us his story of that historic day. This is the Seven Days of 1961 podcast. Hear history from the people who made it. We want to bring about a change. And the quickest way to do that would just demonstrate and protest at lunch counters. The temperature might have been 35 or 40 that morning because we had on light jackets and clothes. And we met the guys on the way down here. We was coming down for the demonstration. And at the time, we didn't know we was going to jail because Mac and I didn't make the meetings. Well, on the way here, you know, there nobody said anything. And there was 10 gentlemen, uh, Thomas Gaither, Rob McCullough, John Gaines, Clarence Graham, William McLeod, James Wells, Willie Massey, Mac Workman, Charles Taylor, and myself. Most of the group were students attending Friendship College. The men walked in silence toward downtown. Female students joined the demonstration, holding signs that read, You want our money, but you won't let us sit at your lunch counter. And we demand complete service or no service. We came up Black Street, all the black business were down there. And as we passed through the neighborhood, they came out and they saw us coming, but they knew we was always coming up to demonstrate. We were basically trying to call the attention to the segregation and the equality of life, trying to, you know, make a better understanding between the race and do it peacefully and do it nonviolent. 
by doing it that way, you show love. But when we got on Main Street, that's when we saw all the sled local police sheriff department waiting for us. say anything when we came in and sat down at the lunch counter when we sat down the waitress said she wouldn't serve us by the time she got the words out they jacked us up and took us out the back door to the jailhouse they booked us fingerprinters and everything so by the time everybody processed at lunchtime, they gave us lunch. And then we had to spend the night in jail. They gave us another sandwich that evening. So by morning, we practiced starving to death, you know. And that's when we went to court. And out the court, we had great lawyers. One of them, Penny, became the chief of South Carolina Supreme Court. And we thought we won the case, but it didn't work that way. You know? So the jury told $100 in 30 days. So when he got diverted, he turned around and said, what y'all going to do? And that's when they said, we going to jail. And I say to myself, who made that decision? But you know, like, it was too late. I was, you know, like caught up being one of the bigger guys in the group. And imagine if I tell them I wasn't going, the Raz and I would have gotten. Matter of fact, it even shocked the lawyer. He didn't believe what he heard. David and his fellow activists became known as the Friendship Nine. After being convicted for trespassing, nine of the men chose 30 days of hard labor on a chain gang instead of paying the $100 bail bond. It was strategic. They were some of the first to use jail no bail. The jail no bail movement pushed back against paying fines for fighting segregation. It became a vital tactic of the civil rights movement. Anti-segregation activists had to work hard to raise enough cash to bail out their foot soldiers on the front lines. Jail no bail cost no money, and it reflected how much activists were willing to sacrifice to demand equal rights. Well, if we paid the bail, that's be like we paying the guy, the persecutor, the same people that wouldn't let us use the lunch count, we were turning around getting them money by going to jail. They had to take care of us out there on the chain gang for 30 days, feed and clothes us and everything. The first day we got out, it was afternoon. Once we chained into the prison clothes, they separated us in three different groups. So in my group was Willie Massey, Willie McLeod, myself. So they had us cutting grass with a sling blade and they started you know, sprinkling snow while we was out there. So this is like February the 1st. Each morning, 
5 o'clock we was up. And by 5.37 o'clock we was on, on the truck going out to do work we, like we did the ditches. We cleaned right of ways. We load trucks with sand, sand to take to jobs that people would done around in the neighborhood. President Kennedy was inaugurated on January the 20th. I was the avid reader of the paper, and I know some of the activity that had been going on in Atlanta and Alabama and all that, and how they had intervened. So I felt, you know, we might get a reprieve from the president after it didn't happen. The biggest thing that kept us going was we stayed together, we studied, we sang, we listened and did what the prison God told us. So as long as you weren't stepping out of place or stepping out of bounds, you know, you didn't have no problem, you know. So we felt we could, uh, you know, overcome and we could do what's necessary to get through that. We wrote letters for some of the prisoners in there, and some of them was having problems. We were almost like counselors if they were having a problem and they worried about them, you know, trying to escape and stuff like we'd talk them out of it. With the other prisoners, they kind of older and, and bigger and badder than us, but they kind of looked up to us and they kind of looked out for us. When we were released from jail, it was March the 2nd, and we had worked about a couple of hours that morning. They came and got us and say, all right, you schoolboys, you're going to get your clothes, and you're going home. So we changed into the clothes that we came out with, and they brought us within about a mile of the school and let us out, and we walked the rest of the way to the school. And when we got to school, they had a bell out front, and we rang the bell, and we turned the school out. When they saw we was out there, they, all the classes emptied out. Well, at the time when we did the jail no bail, things had got stagnant. And when we went to jail, all over the South, people started going to jail, started filling up the jails. And I think that brought about a quicker change because by them being able to take care of you instead of you paying them, it made a difference. So the change came. It came gradually. But you know, we was part of the change. We wasn't complete change. It had to be a change of hearts too. The city put a historical marker detailing the sacrifice of the Friendship Nine outside the restaurant. The original counter space and bar stools from McCrory's Five and Dime are engraved with the names of the men. They say this is the one I sit on when I went to jail, but all I know is sitting down. So it was it's amazing the fact that you still got the original stools that was in the store at the time. When you see your name on it, and then you know you kind of reflect and say, "Really? It did happen, and I was a part of it." When I bring my children and my grands and great-grands, you know, that's when it really hits home then, when they see it. I hope it do some good history-wise and teaching the people that, 
the past and so that the history doesn't repeat itself. Hoping nobody else will have to go to jail to make a change. But if it's necessary, then you know, only do it peacefully and nonviolence. The Seven Days of 1961 is produced and edited by me, Natalie Boyd. Winnie Philemon reported on this story. Jasper Colt recorded the interview. You can see images of David and hear more from the Friendship Nine and read Winnie's full story at 7days1961.usatoday.com. Thank you for listening. Tell your friends about the podcast. Share links. We want more people to know about this history, these personal stories of sacrifice. If you can, please write us a review on Apple Podcasts and you can tweet us at USA Today. We'd love to hear from you. On the next episode, you'll hear from another person in a group of nine that fought for integration. Ethel Sawyer Adolph walked into a whites-only public library in Jackson, Mississippi. She feared the growing angry crowd outside more than the police. That's next time on the seven days of 1961. See you then.